0: we
1: Hello, this is Jim speaking. I'm here with my good friend Nick, as usual. Hello. Uh, and welcome to What a Waste of Time. Today, what was the subject? Thanks. Uh, today,
0: I'm pitching the subject. So this is a change-up from the usual formula where Jim does his introduction and then we talk. This time, I will be the introducer man and we will go with the topic of my design. Um, I, the, the, the basic premise for the topic is less that I have a specific question. It's more a broad brush thing. So I'll say what it's going to be about. We'll hit the, the button and then I'll sort of talk and then you can respond. Okay. Is that kind of, that makes sense? Okay. So the idea is we're going to be looking at the motivations of villains slash antagonists in media because essentially I'm workshopping this for a video I say I'm going to make in the future. That's the premise. Jim, <laughs> hit the button. <laughs> uh, start. Uh, oh. I, I do want to point out that
1: now that you're on record of. Having said that you are going to make this video essay, you are now tied into doing it. But
0: I am a tremendous flake. So (laughs) I I have no shame and nothing to lose. Now all bases are covered. Exactly, yeah. People will either be impressed that I did it or they'll be like, well, I guess you didn't do it. Um, So the thing I was kind of ruminating on is um, what makes a villain's motivation interesting? Because uh, I was thinking about um, various villains from very different stories that I enjoy. And there's there's a thing that, you know no villain well in an ideal sort of you know this is how you're taught to write the characters way villains should not perceive themselves as the villain in their own narrative because they should you know people operate from a position of either being willfully transgressive for their own personal gain or they see themselves as in a position of moral authority it's just that their sense of morality is screwed up and they're doing evil things <laughs> um but I I feel like that there's a lot of media that you, that doesn't play by that rule, and also I think it's an interesting area to explore about what makes a villain compelling, but also what makes them a functional villain. If you follow me, yes, yeah. So uh, feel free to respond immediately. Okay.
1: Um, well, I guess my my thoughts on villainy um, is is I mean there is there is definitely a shift in, in the way uh, villains are are used. Uh, I mean, uh, we can we can go on to talk about motivations, but definitely in in, in terms of story structure, um, uh, to define a few terms. I mean, a villain can be a pretty broad word, but uh, the way I define it in my head, you have villains and you have antagonists. Yes, and villains are a kind of antagonists. Mm. Uh, it's like, and, and for me, an antagonist is basically any character that f- provides conflict in the narrative, uh, whereas a villain is. Uh, a, an antagonist in a story where the, they are the s- source of the central conflict, and by either killing, stopping, capturing, or thwarting them somehow, mm. uh, the central conflict is resolved. Um, and you can see the sort of shift in in Disney films, where it's, you know it has always been traditional for Disney films to have a villain, where um, there will be one evil character who um is you know the source of all the trouble and once they are dealt with then the trouble is over but um there's been this shift and i think pixar started it first and then disney sort of caught up where now the conflict often comes from the situation and they'll still have a sort of villain but it's more just an antagonist to be defeated in the third act normally the the that villain won't even emerge until then like look at Sid in Toy Story um, Sid only like, is only a problem in the third act the main conflict is um, the disagreement between uh, Woody and Buzz mm. uh, and you can you can see that in most Pixar films and in later Disney films look at Frozen I would uh, argue
0: that it's not even later Disney films mm. um, I think because we're I'm sure we're both going to make reference to the um, Lindsay Ellis video essay about the death of the Disney villain um, which is very interesting you should definitely check it out um, however, I would argue that the way that you've laid out your terms there, yes. I would slightly disagree with that. Latter that you know earlier Disney didn't function in that way because mm. if you look at something like Aladdin, right? Um, arguably thought of as being the first film in the Disney Golden Age, right? Is that how it works in uh, the chronology?
1: No, well, you're thinking of the Renaissance. And Renaissance. The Little yeah. Mermaid is the first
0: one. Even then, Little Mermaid works too. Um, while they both have what we would describe as classic Disney villains, as in your Ursula's the Sea Witch. And the um, Jafar, neither of them are really the central conflict of the story. The Mm. central conflict of the story in The Little Mermaid is that Ariel feels out of place amongst her own people and wants to marry and and wants to get with a prince. Ursula is a tool to achieve that and also an obstacle to stop her from doing that. Mm. But the central conflict doesn't exactly center on her. In the same way with Aladdin, he wants to rise, uh, drag himself up out of poverty. He wants to prove that he's worth something, and Jafar is again something that facilitates that mm. by dragging him off on the quest to get the lamp, and as an obstacle to overcome to achieve that. But he is not what the locus of the plot turns around. Yeah, and it's sort of this function, as you were saying, of like antagonists versus villains. Yeah, that's kind of a, an interesting area to explore because. I, I fall back on, for example, I was thinking about it in terms of um, manga just because that's what I'm planning to make video essays about. <laughs> and I was looking at it uh, at an example that I'll have to briefly summarize for Jim because I know he hasn't read it. Um, in part four of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, you have the, car- the um, villain of Yoshikage Kira, wherein the central premise of the latter half of the show is Ka- Kira is a serial killer who's hi- hiding somewhere the characters have to try and find him. The rest of the plot turns around that, mm. which is a different function to the more sort of Disney-based stuff. But then again, I guess we could look at that sort of series versus film.
1: I would also see there's. Um... In, I still think that modern Disney is sort of different to Renaissance era Disney in that like yes it's true that like say if you take Aladdin compared compare it to Snow White all, all the conflict in Snow White pretty much comes from the evil queen
0: I hate that you're pretty why are you <laughs> so
1: pretty whereas <laughs> Renaissance era yes I, I take your point that the, the, there is this sort of balance between sort of the external conflict and the internal
0: conflict this is what well, is the personal journey which yeah. has become more and more um, brought into prominence yeah. because that's the thing that people really kind of identify yeah.
1: with whereas in more modern stories they tend like the villains uh they, like they don't f- feature until the very
0: end mm. um, like zootopia for example yeah um, you have um what's the name the sheep <laughs> um, spoilers yeah the f- false flag sheep yeah. um, you know there is no but defined like, and villain
1: Han, Hans in, in frozen as well like we thought he was good until the very end but the, the se- there's the central com- there, what well, uh, Anna's internal conflict of of uh you know trying to you know self actualize and uh like overcome her sort of you know life of solitude Elsa surely. No Anna like she's the protagonist Elsa's not Elsa is
0: another villain I thought Elsa was like I I watched that <laughs> movie once and I was barely paying attention I thought it was like Elsa was like the lead character No Anna uh, her sister is the main character. The, which, okay, Elsa's is the one with the snow powers. Right? Yes. Yeah, I thought she was the lead character. No, no, oh, it's, it's okay.
1: really. It's I mean, it's chiefly about their relationship. That is the yeah external conflict. Right. Uh, but Anna, ha- but they both have an internal conflict. Mm. Uh, it's mainly Anna's story about like tr- like she learns the, the truth about her sister and also has this whole thing about. Trying to define herself with the her relationships and an act and of the storybook love. tropes and yeah. how those don't necessarily but then it, play it turns out. it on its head by having oh their actually true love between the two sisters is more important mm-hmm. um, and then you have Elsa's story where she's you know trying to um, come to terms with herself and you know, not not live in fear. So Elsa
0: is an antagonist, but she's not the
1: villain. Yeah, because it's, but even then it you was, could argue she, she,
0: she fulfills the role of one
1: though. She does, and she was initially con- like you know in the, in the original story that she sort. That the the story is based on, and in, and in and uh, in you know uh, early drafts of the story, she was uh, a villain in the truest sense. Yeah, uh, a more conventional only, malevolent yeah, force. Yeah. It was only the, uh, in development that it became like, well, let's make them sisters, and we'll focus on their relationship. And yes, she is the central, so the source of, let's say, the central conflict, which is the eternal winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is, you know, she's not a villainous character because she's Mm. someone who needs to be saved but
0: then I guess so is Darth Vader and he's definitely a villain so it's he's I mean this is the thing it it comes back to the idea that I was trying to think about um there are characters whose motivations you kind of understand or rather villains motivations you kind of understand um Darth Vader is one that I've always found a little I didn't quite jive with it, and the prequels didn't necessarily yeah, it didn't, help with that. didn't
1: really explain his motivations at well, all. It
0: kind of did. I mean, you know, there's the whole thing that he was a really quite traumatised child soldier raised mm. primarily in a religion that actively promotes suppressing of emotion rather than healthy outletting of emotion, and sort of saying, oh, you have to do the right thing and care about people, but never be with them. Never mm-hmm. have a family or have a sense of community. Mm-hmm. And it, you can see why he does those things. And it's it, the thing that I find hard is I kind of understand why Anakin does the things he does. Yeah. But Darth Vader, by that point, I don't quite understand. Oh, this is going to be getting get my of soapbox about Star Wars. <laughs> I don't quite understand how you go from, I want to protect my family from the vague sense of death which is what, you know, the fear mm. of death, which is what he was motivated by before, to the point where I will actively tear down all of society in order to do it, because I believe this one dude can save my family. Yeah. But,
1: but then, but the pre- but then also,
0: dies. But the thing, the Why does he stick with Palpatine? The, pre-quel, the
1: prequels present his character as he is evil because his wife died, um, which, and, and maybe there's a whole like, a guilt thing because technically he is the one who
0: killed her. Uh, but... Well, for me, it's, it's it's less it's less that he's evil because his wife died. He did evil things to protect his wife. Yeah. His wife was his motivation. And then And failed. then when she died, and he's told, you killed her, I... Uh, this is a thing... I've never actually really thought about this this closely before. Real time, it's uh, <laughs> happening on the show. I, I don't get how you go from, I'll tear down society to protect my wife, I in my it appears in your anger you destroyed her and now i'm super <laughs> cool with literally blowing up planets yeah it's like that's as an arc doesn't kind of make sense and it works in the context of the original trilogy because we don't know anything about darth vader yeah i there's still the whole question of just like your your father went over to the dark side and you must bring him back luke and it's like yes we want to bring him back but why mm-hmm. a, and, and star wars has the useful thing that there is that you know evil the dark side i'm doing finger quotes if you couldn't tell from my tone yeah. it has a corruptive well not even corruptive, it has a, it has an emotionally intensifying aspect that leads you towards amplifying rage amplifying fear and making you more ruthless and to think less rationally the light side is order calm control serenity and light the dark side is passion, anger, chaos, and wild action without really considering anything. And it's like that. They have the in-universe thing of being like, no, nah, yeah, there's like a, 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 you know, your emotions play into the very fabric of themselves and they can grow themselves and your powers can change in different ways. But I'm trying to think of an appropriate example. Like Voldemort. Let's yes. talk about Voldemort. Okay. Wizard Hitler. We have the backstory. Yeah. I it's like I I, do it does anyone feel that they can understand why Voldemort is the way he is
1: it's I mean it's it's sort of it's it is there um it's not simple and so it's sort of a bit it's a bit weird like like is it is it just a really complex thing or is it just complexity to sort of mask this a bit Mm -hmm. um I mean he's he's sort of presented that I mean he is muggle born but is ashamed of this fact yeah uh and so tries to hide that and goes on this crusade against muggles and muggle-borns. Mm. Um and it's i, I think is Voldemort's primary motivation th- this is this is clear at least is that he is afraid of death. Yes. Um and he will do unspeakable horrible things to himself and others in order to live forever. Yeah. Whereas um compared to Dumbledore being the antithesis of Voldemort is, you know, someone who does not fear death.
0: Yeah, and will do terrible things to himself in order to save others at the yeah. cost of his own life. The The thing is, it's like... I mean, I'm very much just getting on... This is more going to be... I think this is more going to be a, a, a small conversation about um, efficiency in storytelling, he said, assuming a relaxed posture. <laughs> um, like, I could... With Voldemort... Okay, Voldemort is muggle-born. He's ashamed of being muggle-born because wizard society teaches him... That it is a thing to be mm. ashamed of. You are a mudblood. You are a squibs, yeah. or whatever. You are a, you are a defect. You are lesser. Sort of thing. I
1: know. I know that J.K. Rowling is very interested in um, institutionalized children, and Tom Riddle is one. And she has read. You know, she has read and spoken about studies that uh, show. There's you know the a, a lack of love in early life is uh, can be very damaging to a child.
0: True. But the, thing, the, the, the the logical question, and obviously people and characters based on people are not actually logical. Mm. I, part of me just sort of thinks, if he was persecuted for being in this particular thing, mm. and then he managed to get himself into a position where he's like, I have a tremendous amount of power and charisma, I want to tear down this society, why does he then penalise the people who are like him? Because it's like, well, surely it would have made more because he's angry at wizard society. He wants to tear it down. Mm. Sure. Enact your, you know, pseudo right-wing fascist um, wizard purge. But then why are you specifically favouring the purebloods? Sure. I think, well, I
1: think it's, it's not, he's not definitely not angry at wizard society because wizard society is essentially the thing that saved him from um, his, you know, his dull existence as a muggle and the connection to the family that he hates. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the his, it was you know his Muggle father who, um, you know, turned on. We well, because he, well, he, he wasn't Muggle born. Excuse me, he's half blood. Um. Uh, yeah, his, his his mother, you know, uh, conceived him
0: in a shack right yeah but
1: with, the with like a
0: rich dude on a horse a rich
1: muggle who on a should, horse yes on a the horse the horse is important well the love the, the love potion is the specific thing There's this, that is apparently uh, a thing that affected Voldemort as well the fact that he was conceived in the, in, not under true love but under the influence of a love potion mm. um, he is yeah he's supposed to be all of these things the fact that he didn't receive love as a child and the fact that he was conceived in this way means he is a, um, a creature without empathy and with incapable of love mm. uh, and to the point where l- love if we're going to if we're going to say that the power protecting harry because of his mother's self-sacrifice is love
0: which is name uh, checked as several times in the books actually uh,
1: and that power literally hurts him
0: yeah Mm, mm, mm. there's a whole thematic thing yeah there's
1: there there a whole thing in philosopher's stone where he tried to possess harry but failed because of the amount of love that was in him yeah
0: and so his motivations it, would you say you you can understand them up to a point, or do they do they seem logical to the point more, where you're like, I accept this? I, yeah, I, with
1: Voldemort, I think I I may not necessarily believe him as a person, but um, I understand the ideas he is supposed to represent. I think he's more representative of um, ideas than of uh, true emotions. He is, mm. he is supposed to represent fascism and hatred and lack of empathy. Yes, uh, and I don't think. Any real person truly embodies all of these qualities in this way, Mm. but he is there to represent that force in
0: the world. So, here is the question I have, you know, been mulling over in my mind is that, you know, we're, we're both writing our own things and, you know, considering our own villains in our own way. And part of me is sort of thinking that on the one hand, I want to have villains that are believable. Because Mm. I enjoy it when there's villains that you're sort of like, no, I can kind of understand this. I can see why you did these terrible things at these particular times to achieve these goals. Like it makes sense. Um, Whereas that can sometimes muddy the overall message, thematic message of a piece. Because if Voldemort was, oh, he's the most understandable. You understand why he's a fascist (laughs) racist. You know, and you, you, you can, you know, empathy can sort of dilute the potency of a villain. Yeah. So, what would you say is the more important thing? How, well, it, obviously, it's going to be case by case. Yeah, it depends
1: on the story. Like, mm. I, I think the most topical comparison at the moment uh, is Black Panther. Mm. Uh, spoilers. Uh, Killmonger. Th- where, yeah, Killmonger is basically you know represents um, you know the plight of African American people in the U.S. Mm. Um,
0: African diaspora.
1: Yeah, and about and you know he's you know you know, been the worst victim of that, uh,
0: and because um, not only well, has he had to suffer, suffer the um, uh, you know natural racism of living in America anyway yeah. he's also was cut off from his father by his own you know um, yeah. native homeland by virtue of his father being yeah. killed by T'Challa's father
1: yeah uh, I didn't want to qualify me saying that he was the worst victim of that as saying well he's still one above you know black teenagers shot by the police yeah um, at least he
0: got to become a cool mercenary and then yeah. king for a bit but, uh
1: <laughs> Yeah, and so, but then, but then, that does change the story. And that when he does face uh, T'Challa, uh, T'Challa empathises with him yeah. and feels and is is angry at his own father uh, for you know putting uh, this child in that situation. Hmm. Uh, and you know he uh, offers an olive branch to um, Killmonger at the end uh, to you know to say uh, you know. You could like you can you, I could possibly heal you. You could stay here, and yeah. uh, maybe we, you know he tries to make reparations because he accepts that he was uh, wronged, yeah, uh, and kill. that
0: T'Challa himself was in some senses responsible.
1: Yeah, for that, right? at the same time, um, there's this yeah ki- like Killmonger's position is completely understandable, and l- there are many people in the world who will be able to empathise it to a point where they might oh in that situation I might very well do the same thing. Uh-huh. However. Killmonger responds to the situation um, incorrectly, or certainly the film frames it as such, uh, because he is the villain. Um, And you know, it's 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 you know that that's not a difficult argument to make. And that like you know, Killmonger's response to the effects of colonialism is to colonialize the descendants of the people responsible for colonialism, Mm. and that doesn't you know. Two
0: wrongs don't make a right. Well, I mean, the the interesting thing, actually, is you could argue that the biggest problem with what Killmonger did was his own sense of altruism. Because not content with just, you know, becoming king of his own super advanced um, Afro-futuristic African country, he then's like, also, we're going to go and liberate all of the downtrodden black people around the world. And I'm like, that's not a bad (laughs) thing to want to do. Like, it's a problem. And you have flying cars and super secret agents and vibranium and stuff. And that may actually be an entirely believable moral position. And it's, the, it's sort of, you know, it's less about what he wants to do, but it's the methods by which he wants to accomplish it. Yeah. Which is, you know, the end of the film, obviously T'Challa, ends the, the isolationism of Wakanda and is all like, hey, let's share our technology, let's actually help people, yeah. let's take part in the global community.
1: Yeah, but, I do, I, do think, but that's, I do think the film does a very good job of basically presenting this one question of like, oh, here is a super advanced nation in Africa that was never colonised and um, has you know, greater wealth than anywhere in the world. And all of the characters are essentially people responding to the question of, uh, how does this should this nation relate with the rest of the world? Mm. Uh, and uh, T'Challa having to decide, yeah. uh, and and every character is sort of faced. Well, they, all of their their beliefs are challenged mm. uh, to the to the, to the point where T'Challa changes his mind on his own position, mm. um, and basically res- responds to the problem in a like he he. basically yeah by the end of it, he sees the problem from the same point of view as Killmonger but decides to respond to it in a different way
0: yeah because um what I said on Twitter is that um Ch- Ch- T'Challa as a character is primarily motivated by kindness mm. like he wants to not only do the right thing but he wants to do the kind thing yeah he wants to be a purely benevolent force which is actually a very yeah. laudable and really good message to impart to young people of just like hey don't be a dick <laughs> Whereas, imagine if the plot was Killmonger, uh,
1: you know, challenges T'Challa, wins, becomes king, and is a benevolent ruler. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: this, this this was a question I also posed myself, which was one of the things I. It was kind of what I described as, in a sense, a weak point of the film. But I was like, obviously, there's going to be a limited amount of you know nuance you could apply to a character who's literally called Killmonger. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking for. It, it's it's more that if he had if they had made, if they'd framed it in such a way that there was more of a less of a directly militaristic aspect and more of him being like, we're going to take part in the world mm. and not necessarily. Cause th- one of the things I found um, difficult to believe was, um, specifically, um, Wakabi, who I felt was a little underwritten as a character played by Daniel Kaluuya. Um, and also just a lot of other people in Wakanda being like, yeah, sure. Let's just make war on the rest of the world. Mm. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a, an autocracy. It's, you know, he is the King. He, what he says goes, but I expected there to be a little bit more of a pushback to that. I mean, yeah. granted, there was a civil war with the Dora Milaje like, and T'Challa and Shuri and all yeah. that, like, trying to but, do that. But, I mean, f-
1: I mean, it is a it is a comic book film, so you suspend your disbelief a bit, but, mm. uh, you know, a, a more realistic situation of, of like, you, the people would still need time to reel from, oh, fuck, there's been a regime change. The king is dead. What does this mean? And if, if like, if, yeah, this new king comes along and immediately says this is we're, we're going to take the nation in a radically different direction well yes you will have uh you know some people will go along with that and some people will be well i'm loyal to wakanda so whatever the king says
0: goes this yeah. is the law this that, is all that, legal that was Akuye's yeah. position she was like i'm loyal to the throne yeah i care about t'challa i'm like you know basically a mentor figure to him yeah but i'm still the leader which of is, his personal guard which is, and i have which to do my thing, which is uh, a really great point in the film because
1: uh, you know, then it, it was great to see the you know the unit of the good guys oh, then they were split because they all have different responses to this problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in a truly realistic sense, like uh, there will be people who will be like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. I'm not sure about this because this is, this is all going very quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, this seems... Ooh, uh, I, they, 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 there's the sentence that um, Martin Freeman says is like, you know, he's been trained to strike at times of great political turmoil to in order to ex- expedite massive change. Like, mm. you know, for example, the changing of a ruler. And that's, you know, at least someone explained. But yeah, so Killmonger is what I would describe. He's relatable. He walks that fine line of being... Relatable, mm. but you can see why he thinks the way yeah. he does, which is which is good because Marvel um, has a bit of a reputation for lackluster villains. Yeah, well, because they're all focused on the fun personal journeys of your favorite characters. Yeah. Hoy. and the ones that become popular ultimately end up getting like soft redeemed, like Loki. Yeah, because you know, everyone well, well, likes Loki. Well,
1: even like Loki was was at least uh, interesting, in and that, in that he was you know very tied to Thor's story. Um, but then, like...
0: He was the main bad guy of, Aven- of yeah, Avengers. Yeah, totally yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway. I, well, I think he, he counts as one of the good ones. But th- that's the thing. I'm trying to think of examples of bad villains, and I can't think of
0: any other Marvel villains. Um, Iron Munger. Whiplash. Yeah. Um, the Malekith. Um. Oh, Ultron. Ultron was fine. Like, he was, you know...
1: Well, d- Ultron was basically like, oh, I looked at the internet, and now I want to kill all of humanity.
0: Well, mm, he wanted to kill all of humanity, yes. But he was, I liked that he was... The, the, the conceit of the character was that he was built using primarily Tony Stark's brainwaves. Mm. So he was Tony taken to his most absurdist, extreme, paranoid delusions. Yeah. To the point where Tony was already considering doing some, you know, dank shit <laughs> in order to save the world. And then you get to see if he was left unchecked and just was, you know, operating completely at his most... <laughs> ah um you'd end up oh that's gonna peak the audience <laughs> um he would end up being like well if we strategically kill these people this will make everything better and getting into more sort of you know yeah. th- theoretical philosophical utilitarian arguments yeah so but i mean but that, but that, i
1: mean but that's the, the the thing about black panther is that is you know whilst we do on this podcast complain a lot about marvel being homogenous uh, but at least black panther takes this idea um, and quite aside from just making it fresh by you know representing more diverse voices, yeah. um, it, it it takes a, you know a very sort of simple story structure and um, uses it to confront a very complicated topic. Mm. Um, it's it's you know it's very difficult to talk about colonialism uh, briefly, yeah, uh, because it's, it's oh this colonialism ha- you know has affected every culture on the planet so you have to tackle it from a number of angles at once and amazingly black panther is able to do that
0: well thor ragnarok did the same thing both movies share a common thematic um theme mm. the, the a <laughs> common theme for the actual sentence um they share the common theme of being about um heritage and colonialism as factors in modern society mm. um black panther obviously is the Colonize, or sort of like looking at the theoretical idea of if we had left the African continent alone with all of their vast mineral wealth and given them the opportunities to grow and develop on their own without being like, you're all slaves now. Let's fuck up your economy. Let's mm. buy off your politicians to deliberately keep you down and exploit the shit out of your mineral wealth. Maybe they could have become, you know, arguably the most powerful nations on Earth. Um, Thor Ragnarok takes a post-colonialist look of being like, oh, hey, we live in a shining, wonderful city full of white people that, you know, is created, to, is meant to stand for a thousand years. And actually, it turns out the foundations that that city was built on was a lot of murder <laughs> and terrible, terrible things. And having to confront that, and the ultimate conclusion of Thor Ragnarok is Thor saying, yeah, this is all kind of bullshit. Let's just fuck it. Like, the people who exist now... Awara, what is important to me as a ruler, the heritage and the idea of, you know, as guardian, mm. I'm doing like, and I'm just saying as white people, yeah. is it's less about where we came from for us. We need to better ourselves now and let, you know, in a sense, not let go, acknowledge these things that we did and try mm. and correct them, even if that means radically changing the fundamental nature of our society. Yeah. Like, they're brilliant companion pieces. Um, also, in the same way, I feel like that um, Black Panther is incredibly tight with the way that it focuses on this because it's all very much based around T'Challa's journey, really mm. tightly, and stuff happens really quickly and very, very focused. Thor Ragnarok has a lot more pissing about and jokes, which is fine, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it bothered me a bit because I'm just like, this, mm, yeah. you
1: know. There's um, there's another sort of trend in v- villains uh, more recently that I, I, I kind of want to bring up, yeah, which is. I don't know if we've seen the end of this now, but it's, uh, it, does, it does definitely speak to the way the villains are changing, uh, which is a trope that I call um, Hannibal lecturing.
0: Oh, yeah. Which is the
1: villain will be captured, yeah, and be put in a prison with a glass wall, and the hero and the villain will have a conversation.
0: Ah, the Hannibal St- Lecture, yeah, yeah,
1: Hannibal Lecture, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness did it. Yeah, Avengers did it. Sherlock did uh, it. Skyfall did it. Yeah, it's, it's Batman
0: it's, technically did it, even though they were in a glass box together, uh, yeah. Joker and all that. Yeah, but
1: that's yeah. and and that's the, and, and in each of these examples, um, the villain got captured deliberately because it's that sort of it's meant to be that sort of Machiavellian um oh look it seems you've won but in fact all of this happened by my own design yeah literally literally in every single example i'm not i don't remember star trek into darkness but definitely all the others we've mentioned they all got captured on purpose yeah and i mean even if like silver's plan
0: made no sense it uh, made no (laughs) sense skyfall was a bad movie everyone (laughs) who liked that movie should feel bad fight me I thought it was entertaining. Enough. It wasn't. <laughs> you no, know, you're allowed to enjoy different things. No, I take that point. not this is not the pyre I'm going to die. <laughs> but if you take the point of, um, so what is that meant to imply? Because usually in those conversations they'll have the "we're not so different, you and I" kind of thing, and I'm just like, oh, you know, it, it sort of strikes me as sort of like beating people over the head with like a with theming. Look. Look, you see, Batman and the Joker are basically the same. But you're the like, like, no it's one like, cares. Uh,
1: like, like you're not so different. You and I was like, well, if they were so different, then they wouldn't be very good villains. Because good villains, you know, they're two sides of a sort of thematic thing. Like the the best villains uh, uh, are sort of tied together uh, to, with the with the heroes, because otherwise the villain doesn't affect the hero's journey. Yeah. I'm Once again, Lindsay Ellis reminds like this comes to mind because she's pointed out a very good example of this, hmm. Hades in the Hercules ah, Disney yeah, film yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't even meet Hercules until the third act. No. Their stories are not really tied together. Her- like, Hades' success uh, doesn't really have anything to do with Hercules' internal conflict of, um, you know... I'm an action uh, hero. Well, yeah, of, of his identity and, and his heritage and what have you. Um, whereas if... Uh, if we, Example. Well, if we go back to Black Panther as a as a ready example of a, of a good villain, yeah. Um, their stories are inextricably linked, yeah, because it's both them responding to. I mean, they're problems. cousins as well, uh, yeah. And it's and like there's, but it's, you know, and they're they're seeing the same problem for like it's you know, T'Challa
0: recognizing his own privilege hmm. and being like, "Hey, you had the good life." Yeah, I. <clears throat> the question that I would then say is like, so we're we're having these things where. We both want to. The trend seems to be moving towards humanizing our villains.
1: Yeah, look um, at you things know. like look at things like Wicked and Maleficent, and those things are popular exactly. now.
0: Exactly. I mean, well, Maleficent. Yeah, it's literally re- re- historically revising. You know what Maleficent's deal yeah. was. I mean, Maleficent as a movie. I, mean, I, I you know, enjoyed it. It's it. all right, it's, you know. It's you know,
1: it's not, it's not very uh, thought provoking, but it's like yeah, 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 yeah this it's is entertaining fine. This enough. Is fine.
0: Yeah. Um. So the question I would be like, is that there are some villains that you go back to who I like, I really enjoy, mm. but who are brilliantly one dimensional. Like yeah. someone like, um, Oh, who's someone that you'll know that I think is suitably one dimensional. Like I really enjoy, um, I enjoy Dio from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, for example, he is an evil vampire who's mad evil. That's his deal. <laughs> he was evil when he was a kid before he got turned into a vampire. like, he gets adopted into his, uh, you know, he gets adopted into this wealthy family after having, you know, killed his own biological mm. father through poison. He then proceeds to manipulate things so he's a dick to his new um, adopted brother all the time. He's like, be- is better than him at rugby. He's better than him at boxing. He kills his dog. He steals his. Well, tries to steal his girlfriend. I'm just like, God, you're terrible, Dio, but I love reading <laughs> you. You know, <laughs> you're really. It's like it's that's you know the unfiltered villainy of just like this person it's it you know dio uh, fulfills a purpose in that he is a total shit and you're like i love seeing you be a total shit because it's going to be so sweet when you get the ever-loving fuck knocked out you You know and i think there's definitely room for villains like that where their purpose Mm. is not to be like hmm rather you know not to make you think it's more to make you be like oh when you get it (laughs) oh and you're gonna get it oh it's gonna be so sweet and then they get it and you're like hey catharsis yeah that's always enjoyable yeah i'm
1: i'm i'm now thinking of 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 a time when i felt that and and that was uh more spoilers coming for breaking bad um and i mean of course i mean Walt is a bit of an anti-hero in that he's sort of the villain of the piece himself yeah uh but one particular villain is uh gus uh, Gustavo Fring, who is basically basically represents the idealized version of Walter. He is, basi- he is doing what Walter does better than Walter. He's like a big crime guy. Yeah, he's a, he's basically he's in control of the uh, crystal meth um, like network in the world. In well, in um, in the units. Well, no, actually, all across the states. He owns like he's part there's this whole sort of covered company. But basically, yeah, he's he's so good at his job that he's actually um, he um, caters the police meeting about the crystal meth uh, problem in um, Albuquerque and he's like the police love him because he's such a charitable figure and like mm. and like people like they try to find that stuff out about him by putting a tracker on his car and they discover that he only ever drives between his house and the place he's supposed to work it's, he's like he does his he does it what Walter does really well and yeah. really efficiently whereas Walter's just fucking up every second of the he's way he's winging it just, super yeah. hard um, but then and then, but then uh, of course Walter gets on his bad side because he fucks up again all because of Jesse um, and then like Walter is like oh it's either him or me and Gus has way more resources and is fucking terrifying um, and there's like one failed assassination attempt because like uh, Walter puts a bomb under his car and then Gus is going to the car and just stops and someone seems to know that something is wrong and then they leave, and Walter's like. <laughs> uh, but then
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining Brian Cranston just being like hurt, <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh,
1: but the way Walter defeats Gus is because of he, Gus has one Achilles heel, where he has an old enemy who is in a retirement home, um, who uh, is paralysed and can't speak, and his only way of communicating is with her, by ringing. A bell. Oh, the little bell guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I got he, that far. I met goes, that dude. Yeah, he goes to see him regularly basically to rub his success in his face. And that's his one little um, indulgence, which is his weak spot, that Walter exploits by um, making him, like, putting a bomb under this man. Mm. And then, and there's that moment where the bomb goes off, where, like, Gus just realises what's happening, gets up, but then, boom, and then he walks out of the room, seemingly fine, and you're like, what the fuck? How do you kill this man? (laughs) The camera moves, hands around him and you realise the other half of his face is missing and he falls down dead and that moment of like oh that, that tension release yeah, where, yeah, where yeah. you think that for a moment that actually it's failed again but no it's succeeded and now Walter's the big cheese and what does that mean
0: mm. um, well there's something about um, implacable villains certainly like mm. if you go to um, fucking Terminator I like real talk like I love Terminator One. I think it is the best Terminator film. Uh, Terminator Two I'll is take, really good too. I think
1: Terminator Two. over Terminator, Terminator 1. Two is
0: really really good too. But I I adore Terminator One mm. so much. It's such a good film. Oh my god! Um, but the thing about that is that movie is literally about its villain. It's called yeah. the Terminator. <laughs> you know, it's like Terminator Two. It's about it's him again. Oh boy! <laughs> and the real thing of that is how your characters react in the face of something that is less a villain and more like a, like a a natural disaster because you can't reason with the Terminator. Mm. You can't really stop it. Really? Like the premise is that you can't stop it. It's going to keep coming at you forever. And all you can do is run and try and think of things to either stop it, slow it down, or do weird time banana shit where you blow up a building (laughs) in the past, (laughs) thus making it all never happen. You know? And then like that, that kind of thing is interesting because it's, it's it's villainy, but it's not... The, I wouldn't really class those things as villains, though. The Terminator, for me, is not the villain of the piece. Because I feel, I, to me, villainy... And this may be, like, a gross misappropriation of terms. Villainy, to me, implies malice. Like, I feel like villains have to be people who choose to do the bad thing. Mm. The Terminator, to me, is not a villain because the Terminator doesn't choose. It just does what it's programmed to do. It's like, it's you know, like, Hal from 2001 is a villain because Hal goes crazy and decides to murder humans. Yeah. The Terminator was created to kill humans. It's like, well, off I go. Kill him mm. again.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I, I mean again, I always, I always see villain in terms of narrative, and so, yeah, he's the central cause, source of the conflict. Mm. Uh, but I suppose you, like, I'm sure there's an example of this, but I'm sure you can have a villain who is very well-intentioned but blithely unaware of the problems that they cause and have to be taken out for that reason. Um, uh, I, I have one example in a thing that I have written of a villain like that yeah. um, <laughs> I wrote a short story called The Undertaker which is about uh, an undertaker in a, uh, a old west town who believes he's raising well he believes he's seeing miracles uh, where God is raising the dead, when in fact he is turning the dead into zombies, and their zombies are killing the rest of the town. So and he, he gets more zombies. Yeah, and he doesn't realise that the only reason the zombies aren't attacking him is because he is king of the zombies. Yeah, um, secret necromancer. So uh, so he is the villain of the piece, um, but completely unaware that he's the source of the conflict. But he's
0: also the protagonist? He is also the protagonist. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's interesting how you can have protagonist and villain can be one and the same mm. in some aspects. Um, I mean, I guess technically though, if... The, if the by your own discussion of what narrative means the villain of your piece yeah. would not actually be him it's because the rest, the, yeah, it's the rest of the town it's the rest of the town is the villain <laughs> this is why I always, I, I always feel that villain has to be the person that's choosing to do it like it, it's it's you know like uh, I wouldn't describe like in the day the day after tomorrow I wouldn't say global warming <laughs> <laughs>
1: climate change is <laughs> the villain but then I mean this this is another um, way in which villains have changed because of um, your public perception uh, and there's a good example to sort of examine this, um, which is you know, there's a story uh, that has been retold and retold and retold, but told in different ways. Uh, and the way that it changes shows what that, you know, that period uh, is afraid of. Yeah. Um, because every villain is a, you know, a, a analog for something in the real world, because yeah. that's what we're, we're not afraid of truly invented things no um and with the example i'm going to come up with is uh, war of the worlds i thought you were going to say this <laughs> yes so the original war of the worlds book by h.g wells uh you know that was really about um an examination of uh humanity's place in the world basically he was reacting to you know um, imperialism and colonialism by saying, well, let's examine how we would feel if that were to happen to us.
0: Yeah, sort and of the cosmic horror thing, yeah. of, like the insignificance of humanity.
1: Yeah, and then again, and that's why it makes sense for at the end of that story, uh, the invading force is taken out by the humblest of all creatures, bacteria, mm. which again speaks to the colonialism theme, because that's you know when we try to colonize the states, uh, lots of the whole smallpox thing. Did you do like, those bankers come yeah. smallpox. Uh, but even a lot, of people, oh. a lot of people who went there, you know, just when you go to a place which is foreign to you, you get diseases. Mm. Um, and uh, and so, but then there, there was a film in, I guess, was it in like the 80s or 70s? 20th century film adaptation. Not the Tom Cruise uh, one. Not the Tom Cruise one. Right. I, th- th- well, that's, this is the other significant thing, is that, so there's two War of the Worlds films that I'm aware of. One is pre-9-11, the other is post-9-11. Yes um <laughs> and boy and, did our sense of imagery oh, yes. of disasters change a i lot. mean def- definitely the uh this whole idea that of like villains um uh being analogous of, for something but yeah and a lot of terrorism thing where the villains are now more opaque and they come from places we don't expect uh because but, that's
0: what we're currently af- well, yeah that's what we're i think facing. i feel like in a sense in a weird way you know the the new just as sorry just as a brief sidebar fine. is that like the if you go back like about five years our go-to villain was terrorism. Yeah. Because it was the threat that we could never perceive. And you had, like, you know, your 24s and your fucking, like, whatever, like your uh, your Jason Bonds or whatever. You know, man, usually white man punches terrorists (laughs) because, you know. Even
1: Avengers, a city and buildings are destroyed by an invasion from another dimension. Yeah,
0: it's an insurgent force thing. Whereas now, because of, like, the whole Trump stuff, I feel like we're now getting a lot more stories which are about like hey, authoritarianism, yeah, this
1: is well, bad yeah, and and the f- a lot is about we're afraid of um the evil that's within ourselves, yes, not, not so much you know the the human condition sort of evil, but more that um like that there is something societally wrong with us, yeah that there's there are insidious um elements within our own society within people of
0: our own group oh yeah well the the more the the greater focus that's placed on uh, like toxic masculinity as becoming something that's being explored now in like in so many different ways you're seeing lots of different properties and stories explore elements of toxic masculinity in a much more nuanced and interesting way that they wouldn't have done previously mm. like literally last night um on snl they had a skit about builders um, you know, work, working on some roadworks and they, you know, were heckling women and then they start talking about like, man, we always talk about how much we want to like ban girls and stuff, but you know, I genuinely just thought her dress looked nice and sometimes, do you ever wonder what it might be like if, you know, you were a girl? What what dresses would you wear? And they have like a whole mm-hmm. conversation, it culminates in someone saying, you know, one of the you know, one of performers gets up and says like, um, masculinity is a velvet pair of handcuffs it's comfortable but it's restrictive and it's like, mm. that's a, that's Saturday Night Live I mean, <laughs> I know it's meant to be like, you know, a, a kind of politically subversive comedy well, show. comedy
1: is rooted in fear
0: Indeed, but it's very telling that they could be that blunt and be mm. like, hey this is a problem mm. and, and again, you look at something like um, again, going back to Black Panther t- I feel like T'Challa was written in a way that was meant to be kind of addressing some of the fears of toxic masculinity of saying that men have to be hard unemotional and you know never admit to faults and sort of you know be strong and that kind of thing t'challa like gets his ass kicked nearly dies is mostly saved due to the women in his life is focused entirely on being kind and seeks to do, do um find emotional common ground and understanding with his enemy He's a very 21st century mm. kind of protagonist. Yeah. And I, that's really yeah. good.
1: There's, certain, there's certainly another podcast in, in Heroes and how they have changed. Yes. The things, the things that we champion have changed. Mm, definitely. Um, fucking James Bond. <laughs> and it's going to be really interesting to see where James Bond develops. Um, because it's going to be harder and harder to...
0: Less to and less tenable effect. to run yeah. that formula. You know, um, I mean, l- lest we forget in fucking Skyfall when James Bond is confronted by a woman saying, hey, I was a sex slave, and Mm. I have tremendous weird mental stuff about men. And then he thinks, oh, I know. I'll sneak up on her in the shower. Yeah, then just put my dick in her, and she'll love it. And the movie goes, and then she loved it. And you're like... "Mm." And then she dies.
1: Yeah. Because everyone James Bond fucks dies. Yeah. And and like that... like. I don't think it's necessary you, know, you can tell a story about uh, a misogynist dinosaur of a character. you can tell a story about like is there is that you know James Bond does seem to be followed by this trail of death, literally most of the people he fucks dies mm-hmm. and you could like that's fine too. You can tell stories about that. Yeah. how does that affect
0: him yeah uh, but it doesn't it, I mean there's been a bit of an attempt I mean I say this I've barely paid attention to modern Bond, because... I mean, it's
1: certainly true that Daniel Oof. Craig. Is At least he is aware. I'm not sure how much the, the producers of uh, James, the, the film series currently are aware. They're certainly more aware than previous generations. Uh, but he has said, like, James Bond isn't a good person. No.
0: That's, and it's good that he's aware of that and is playing the character yeah. that way. This comes back to what will probably end up being the next episode of the podcast, which is where we wanted to talk about framing. So yeah. probably more unlike, you know, you can have these narrative elements, but the way that you look at them is very much going to change how they're consumed.
1: I bet we don't talk about framing in the next podcast. Just that. Well, we might. We, we might. Know. I mean, yeah, it's framing is an important thing. It's like the thing itself is often less important than the way it's framed. Mm. And, that, and that goes for villains
0: as well. As a, as a, so, as another topic, just real quick. Conventionally, villains have been someone who has sought to disrupt the status quo. Mm. However, in modern era, especially in young adult fiction, mm. we have had our heroes... Be the ones to disrupt the status quo because the yeah. status quo has been shown to be corrupt or yeah. unfair or unjust. I mean, that's definitely a generational thing. I mean, mm. there's
1: there's uh, uh, you know, clash between young people and old people at the moment is you know, a lot of lot of people sort of pointing out systemic problems that have always been there, mm. and the reaction to it is 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 in some cases, uh, why is this suddenly a problem? <laughs> like, this is <laughs> it always, was always a problem. This has yeah. always this has always been fine, uh, and there's so many there's so many like a lot of s- stories in the past have been yeah about upholding the status quo yeah uh and people coming to seeking to change the status quo is seen as sort of um corrupt or 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 uh, there's a word i'm looking for uh degenerate or or the, the transgressive transgressive ones, yeah, yeah. yeah like it's it's like there's there's that sort of thing like things are fine the way they are uh and we should distrust anyone who doesn't seek to change that
0: mm. uh when uh take the lion king for example yeah
1: um, and, and this goes, again uh, in Lindsay Ellis's most recent video, where she talks about the shape of water, um, yeah. let's talk about, you know, this whole changing, uh, uh, the way that the, the, the media portrays the monster has changed, because there's a lot of, you know, people who feel like, um, like second-class citizens, or, or like, like, they don't fit into society's rules, like LGBT people, or, uh, or people of colour, that's what I was looking for, um, that, um that a lot of them empathize with the way the monster is with
0: that experience yeah yeah
1: and so now we have more stories which are sympathetic sympathetic to the monster
0: yeah because and this uh, i was listening to um sean of sean and jen um recently who was talking about um was it it was an older episode of his called the plight uh, was it the plight of the frogmen which was talking about the disenfranchisement of um uh white video gamers you know who to the people who who see gamer Mm. as the sole defining attribute they have and the whole thing of since white men tend to operate in the space of being essentially somewhat culturally dominant or have been historically for a really long time somewhat somewhat (laughs) just just a smidge just an iota um you know you get them saying things like oh why don't we get a celebration of our own identity and it's like because all the rest of the time yeah but that is still an attractive um, proposition for people to invest in as a narrative. You want to feel that you are somehow special for being you. Yeah. And obviously the things, if you're just a boring generic fucking white person, then, you know, it's like, it's hard to find the thing that makes you special because you don't have the immediate cultural identifiers of having a culture that is deviated, uh, is a deviation from what the majority of media prescribes as the norm. Mm. Um, on that note, Ready Player One. Oh, God. Uh, what do you think this movie's going to... Okay, okay, so this may contain spoilers because I've not read the book. Uh-huh. I don't want to read the book. It looks terrible. Everything I hear about it is just yeah. woeful. What is the villain in Ready Player One?
1: Oh, see, so you read it. It was a while ago since I read it. I went to um, a, a book group with about it uh, uh, with the London Gamers, uh, only this week and I did not could not bring myself to reread it um, to, um, the villain is well the, I guess the villain is essentially um, big corporations big business uh, yeah. and uh, you know the, the, as, more specifically those big I guess really it's EA that's the thing
0: <laughs> um, oh no poor EA fuck off oh, EA no, no poor EA
1: <laughs> I mean like I, I like <laughs> the problem with Ready Player One is not its villain; <laughs> it's, it's it's hero. Yes, um, who oh. it's the things that it champions, and not so much not so much that it champions them, but it champions them without critique and without deconstruction.
0: Yes, and you're you're sort of left with this. But it, it, that for me, it's again, it comes back to this whole thing that that from what I understand that the narrative is, it's a story that celebrates you for your extensive knowledge of Mm. dumb internet pop culture and video games and all that time you spent in your fucking sofa playing these video games means you'll get the girl and the money and the power and you'll lead a brilliant revolution with all your favorite Overwatch characters pupu pupu Is that is that a fair assessment of what the thematic value of Ready Player
1: One is? I mean the only issue I have with that description is that it's more rooted in 80s culture so Overwatch wouldn't have been a thing. Ah uh, true uh, but <laughs> what we've
0: seen from the trailer
1: Yeah but that's because Tracer's in it.
0: I bet you she's going to show her butt. Yeah,
1: I mean at least there's one <laughs> queer character in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, one the, no, like this is the th- like the thing about Ready Player One is that it is not as bad as it could have been because it does at least make an attempt. Like it does, like there is one queer character in it, one, and that person character is also the person of color. Uh, and well, you may as well put them together,
0: you know. Then it's yeah, just easier to you know, keep it's track. Economical, yeah. Uh, and on. it does ha-
1: and it like at least the 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 you know the love interest is not a one-dimensional character. She's not just a sexy lamp. There's a, another element there. However, <laughs> none of these things are explored in enough detail or with enough competence to to for, to excuse it. It's 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 definitely all of these things are presented f- like from a um, s- straight white perspective. Yes, it's it's, it's not even well, just, no, no,
0: not even not even a straight. I would say like a spectacularly sheltered straight no, white this, perspective. This,
1: like it's not, it's not, it's not even it 's not not presented that way just because the protagonist is a straight white man and he is perceiving them it 's more just like the o- the only elements that of these things that are present are the ways in which a straight white person would engage with that yes like um it, it, the the you know the, the love interest you know there 's this whole thing about like she her avatar uh, she presents herself in the game differently than in real life because she has a, a scar. Um, but all of this is rooted in her idea of beauty and of being appealing.
0: That's the thing. Like her, yeah.
1: all of her issues are about whether or not she is attractive to this to this guy, and the the story mm. sides on. Oh, actually, she is, and that's and that's good. But it doesn't really go into any any issues of, of sort of you know female objectification or, or self identity or impossible standards for women and what have you. And that has the, and again there is this queer person of color who. Presents as a straight white man in the game because um, you know the, of the way people react to her, uh, but it's uh, but it's all about. That sounds like a
0: much more interesting protagonist.
1: oh yeah, been, oh, yeah. so much stuff to explore there. <laughs> yeah, be so interesting. Be great. But all that happens is they meet. They meet for the first time way late in the book, <laughs> and it just turns out. Uh, and the whole issue about it is: oh, is the main character fine with this? Yes, he is. Of course, he is. And, we, isn't he great? Why
0: is that a question? Um,
1: and then that's not no no. But wait, is he really? A, isn't
0: he? Isn't that great? I
1: was like, yeah. A, that, b- and then the big problem as well is that is that like you know all the way in the you know in the in the book so far he is um, you know this character who is actually um a female person of queer person of color you know is given male pronouns but and then meeting uh, her in real life she has female pronouns but then back in the game again we go back to male pronouns. Um, that seems yeah and oh, hmm. oh and like there's. I feel we're we're veering massively off topic here because I could talk about the the transphobia and the homophobia and all and I and heard, the a toxic masculinity. heard a bit about um, that. I heard a bit about that. <laughs> but yeah, so so that is a problem with the hero. There's, there's, like the villain in it is fine actually. Yeah. It's actually acceptable. Yeah. Uh, it's
0: like well, it's, I suppose the, the reason I brought that up is is more for if we've kind of arrived at this idea that you know we. are villains are changing as narrative is changing as mm. we're becoming more um, aware of, pre- of previously uh, marginalized groups. And we want to bring those stories forward. Mm. And we're also becoming more aware of emotional depth being an actual thing that people are interested in. And rather than looking at simplified narrative surrogates for what we understand to be, you know, how relationships work, mm. you know, like um, throw a rock and hit a pop culture detective agency video for basic how narrative shorthand does incredibly damaging things to young people because they learn to you know women are taught that you're in your entire value is based around how much you can please a man, and how with a man you are, and like, you know, you put their needs before yours. Even
1: stories about women are about how, like, um, your identity will be self-actualized depending on the man that you choose.
0: Yes, and like, you know, and teaches competitiveness with other women, and men are taught to feel entitled, men are taught to feel that, you know, women are sort of props to sort of make themselves feel better, and it's all very poisonous, but because of that, we've had these villains, like, you know, you go back to the Disney thing, that these villains were sort of, Big, tremendous, larger than life kind of ah ha ha ha! Look at me, I'm so deliciously evil. Yeah. Well, even that.
1: Oh, see, there, there's queer coding in villains. Yeah, oh yeah. So much of it, which is that, is very interesting. There's Scar, so many. Ursula, so, yeah, even so point, many. Yeah, yeah, so many villains where you know they're coded in a queer way. It's not explicit, but it's there, and it's and you know it's there just because
0: it's a deviance well, from the norm. Well, yeah,
1: because because it makes most people feel iffy. That's yeah. the same reason why American villains have english voices uh well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's english... familiar but also yeah. di- other, it's familiar other, but other and, and also yeah. like you can understand them but they seem clever and it's um and and also um i had a third example um, well let me, let me
0: finish my point yeah. which was the um so as we're moving towards that we now have an adaptation of a piece which is you know for essentially the group that we have argued is going to feel somewhat left behind or has mm-hmm. the most work to do in sort of deprogramming themselves from enjoying these traditional narratives because these traditional narratives were sort of mostly keyed towards them and reinforcing their understanding of the world what do villains have to be to those people because obviously we don't want villains that say you must fear the other because mm. we're the new message of the day is that like no it's good to be different it's good to be an individual it's good to engage mm. with other communities and create a sense of wholeness that's like what media as a whole yeah. is trying to reinforce in some ways of sort of saying, look, see, these people are not like you, but they have an equally valid existence. That's cool. And the villain in that has, I feel in some ways, like you say, has to be less directly identifiable mm. because it's now like, it's a problem of, say, society. You know, it, it, And more and more we're getting to the point where the answer to our, our narratives is less that if you kill the, you know, you look at Wonder Woman. Mm. wonder woman does this quite well that you know wonder woman starts off with the basic premise of like oh i gotta go kill the god of war and then that will stop the war and i'll do it and she kills um uh what's the name the guy who she thinks is the
1: i don't remember Zudov
0: or something She Zirkov. kills.
1: yeah she kills someone who she thinks represents uh, yeah Aries. and then
0: it doesn't stop and she has uh, you know i really think that wonder woman is it's obviously it's critically lauded but um i really like the sequence where she's like but why aren't they stopping mm this is the narrative yeah. I've killed the bad guy I've slain the dragon but everyone's still being terrible yeah and I think as a overall uh, as you know as western media is sort of evolving we're getting to the point where we're realizing that there isn't an easy answer yeah. to a lot of these things it's, it's about
1: well, it's, it's I wouldn't I wouldn't even I wouldn't characterize it in the way that that is what we are realizing it's more that um media is responding because audiences are no longer satisfied with that explanation
0: yeah yes that's a better way that's a better definitely a better way of doing it you know like if you take wreck it ralph for example Mm. um there is the bad guy whose whole deal is i want to maintain the status quo by oppressing people um is effectively what the villain of that piece is and they beat the villain but the real thing uh, the real resolution of the plot is that ralph manages to create bridges of understanding to people who previously thought him to be a one-dimensional villain Mm. and didn't want him to be a part of that and then, by forging that new understanding, that's the actual resolution of it. The whole defeating King Candy was mm. kind of like, "We need to get you out of the way because we want to do this thing." And he's like, yeah. "No, my status quo."
1: Yeah. So we're going to like we're going back to the way that, that this journey has changed in, in Disney films, uh, where there's this sort of butting between the in, internal and external conflict. Um, is it because, is it more that the either that the internal conflict is becoming more important than the external conflict, or that the uh, external complex, co-
0: conflict maybe at the same time is becoming more complex. Like, we totally got a thing. We literally had a movie which I didn't much care for which was literally the ultimate apotheosis of the internal being important inside out. Where <laughs> it's literally an internal conflict writ large as a macro sure, story.
1: Sure, but I guess really, <laughs> really the internal conflict is joy realising that sadness is worthwhile. True.
0: It's about understanding an emotional truth rather yeah. than Again, there's no specific villain in that because I mean there isn't. There's no, nothing. There's no, there's no, there's no, no villain.
1: No, there's no there's no person or character that you could call the antagonist. Yeah,
0: oh, I'm gonna have to revise my opinion. Damn it!
1: <laughs> oh, there goes
0: the timer. Yep.
1: So, I mean, what have we achieved in this in this hour where we got got horribly off topic for a bit?
0: It's quite a political one, this one. <laughs> um, also, take that, Ernest Klein. You, dick. Uh,
1: I mean, I, I had. I mean, I'm I've, sure I've... he's a
0: perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently, his latest
1: book is no better. Oh, good. Um, I've, I've done a lot of shitting on him this week.
0: So I feel bad. <laughs> um, yes, please look forward to the episode of my podcast where Jim will guest star please. and we'll watch Player one, and that will be that'll be quite a thing. Um, yeah, so I'm glad that my topic spawned an interesting conversation. Yeah. Hey.
1: So, yeah villains represent fears in society and examining them can you can ex- also examine how a society changes
0: <laughs> yes um i think it's it, the the main takeaway i think is that our understanding of society is getting more complex as we have a more interconnected digital era mm. and our stories are changing to reflect that new understanding
1: yes yeah thanks for listening to this waste of time what, what are you doing with your life are you gonna hit the stop button? <laughs> what a waste of time! Featured the voices of me, Jim Woodall, and Nick Hurd. Music by Anthony Bullinger.